0: Blog Talk Radio Good evening everyone, my name is Aaron Laxon alongside with Robert Brining, beaming across the United States and around the world your 90 minute dose of hope brought to you each and every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time you may follow along on the conversation on social media Facebook and Twitter and Pause. I am And at bozim.org, that's bozim.org, we encourage you to join in the conversation at 347-215-9442. That's 347-215-9442. 90 minutes. Your dose of hope starts now. Good, Sunday, good, evening. good evening, Robert. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing excellent. How are you, Aaron? I was trying to fill out when that sounder was going to end, but I am doing well. It's uh, a little bit under the weather. I think, uh, you know, it's just that time of the year where uh, there's a lot of stuff going around. So I think uh, uh, we've also had a lot of ice and snow the last week. So uh, it's been a lot of sitting around the house and... Uh, not getting out because people in St. Louis cannot drive when there is one drop of ice or snow on the ground. <laughs> well, I think that's common across the whole
1: country, actually, because you know the weather's been atrocious here in Philly as well. I mean, we've been getting snow and ice, and it hasn't been really that bad, but it's just kind of been a nuisance for everybody. So uh, I could totally relate to that. But I, I remember uh, hearing the news the other day, and the, they were talking about the CDC was saying that the flu. This season is actually, is actually you know, uh, showing up as normal as, as, as it should, as it has been in normal years. You know, it's doing the normal routine of just starting to pop up in places where last year the flu, you know, the virus was so, I guess, um, attackful. It was attacking everybody right away, and it was kind of heavier in the, the beginning of the winter, before winter and the fall. So they're saying that it's now on course of a, of a normal flu season. So hopefully that's the case with all the weather.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I got my flu shot so um, you know, earlier in the year, um, I think maybe like a month ago. And um but you know, I think it's just uh some of the you have some of those days where you're just not feeling the best or you're feeling a little rundown or whatever. So um I'm sure I'll be good to go by tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I actually get my flu shot tomorrow at a doctor's appointment at nine o'clock the morning, so Justin.
0: See, I didn't know if you were a holdout on that, because I know that in, in the times past we've talked about the flu shots. So I would never really gotten your stance on whether you got a flu shot or you were one of the people that held out against getting a flu shot.
1: I usually get it. You know, I go by what I ask my doctor what he suggested best for me, and if he says, I think you need to do this or, you know, or, or get this vaccination, then, you know, I'm there for it. Right. right. here won't, He won't steer me the wrong way. You know what I mean I don't know. I get sick yeah. usually a little bit after getting it, um, but that's you know probably in my head because <laughs> they say you know they I think Dr. Oz stated that they don't you know the flu shot doesn't even actually get you sick, but a lot of people seem to have that um, i guess reaction to it, right, and they get the shot I mean have you
0: had that when you've gotten it before um not really i've never I've never had any like um, side effects or, or got sick at, as a result. I mean, typically what I've read is if you are getting sick, like when you get the flu shot, then that's when you'll typically get sick after the flu shot. But the, the flu vaccine now, um, most vaccines, they um, contain dead portions of the virus. So it's almost impossible for you to get sick, you know, if you have an adverse effect or something, that's to the vaccine itself, but you're not getting the flu, the actual flu from the vaccine, which is a misnomer. Now, if you get the flu vaccine from the nasal spray, that actually contains a live agent, um, and that's not recommended for people who are living with HIV because it can actually give you the flu, but... Your doc, all the doctors would know about that, and um, they'd be able to guide you in the right direction so, so it's
1: been a very that.
0: it's been a very slow week this week which i i'm not sure whether it's good or bad um, in the HIV world because typically before the show, I will do research and um, and and look for new news. The last news that came out was last week. I know that you have a story that you kind of want to hit on. Um, I wanted to talk about something that's not really HIV related, but I think that it really um, has some significance. Um, So this week I was kind of like bumming around on YouTube, and I came across um, a YouTube um, that was titled My Last Days, and it was um, a documentary. It's like a 20-minute documentary. Um, over a young man named Zach um, Sobiak. Um, He was a young man who um, was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is basically bone cancer. And so the reason I mention this is it was so refreshing watching this documentary about this young man who was terminally ill. And he talked about how he was coping with things and, and how he was really dealing with this devastating news. And... It was refreshing for me to watch it um, because I know sometimes with living with HIV, we um, as patients, we really get down on ourselves and we really, you know, we we see we have to deal with the stigma, we have to deal with the the medications, we have to deal with the sickness and all those things that come with it. But I think it's very important for us to look at other people that are, are dealing with disease, you know, disease states whether it be cancer, leukemia, or these other, and how they're dealing with it. And I think we, we can really learn a lot, uh, at least for me. So I would encourage anybody that, um, you know, look it up on YouTube. Um, I'll actually post a link to it on in the chat room. Um, but it's My Last Days, um, Zach um, Sobiech, S-O-B-I-E-C-H. And he's just an amazing young man. His whole family is really amazing. And how he dealt with um, everything, and unfortunately, he did lose um, the battle with the osteosarcoma in May of this past year um, so that's unfortunate, but it was I, I just wanted to share that with everybody that um you know sometimes we I get inspiration off of looking at other people and how they're dealing with with things. I don't know about you. what do you do to get inspiration, Robert? What do I do to get inspiration? Yeah.
1: Um, Depends. I do different things. Sometimes I listen to music. Um, Listening to music kind of inspires me when um, uh, I'm very into, like, lyrics of songs. So um, Mm -hmm. that's all It's inspiration for me. Painting. Um, I don't know. It kind of depends on what the situation is
0: that I I need to get inspiration for. You
1: know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I have seen your the art that you do. And that's uh, is that affiliated with the, one of the groups that you're in? Because I have seen some um, of the art that you've done. That's, that's really yeah, cool. Some,
1: some of the art that I did uh, a few years ago was for an art therapy class that I took here at a local ISO. Um, that was interesting. But I used to, like, paint, uh, like, on canvases and stuff, and, like, this weird, bizarre stuff. And I have some stuff when I was younger but I would like to pick it up again. I just haven't had that, I guess, inspiration to do it. But it's something I keep doing, thinking, like, I want to get back to that because it was fun and it was interesting, you know, and it kind of allowed me to express myself in a different way. And
0: I don't know. No, it's really cool. I, You know, maybe maybe we need to have, like, a future show on, on inspiration and how different people deal with inspiration. I know for me, photography has always been really mm. um, an interesting outlet. Um, but sometimes we get so lost in the hustle and bustle of life that we kind of, you know, um, we lose track of those simple things to express ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. so I-, I wish I had more of an artistic side, like the things that you've done. Cause I, I've looked at those like, there was one I remember that you did was a, a mask.
1: Um, yeah. That
0: was really, really cool.
1: Yeah, that was for the art therapy class. We had to kind of, um, it was kind of weird because we laid down and people put, you know, the plaster or whatever on our face to create it. It was kind of freaky. I never, I have problems with like, uh, what is it, Uh, claustrophobic? And uh-huh. having that on my face and not being able to breathe and only out my nose was kind of uh, irritating. But it was It was kind of cool to trust somebody else to do that. And then, to actually, I, on the inside, I put all these things that, make me feel good about myself, but then on the outside, I made the mask actually look like a unicorn of some weird sort that was pink. Um, You know, it just kind of had this horn, like an odd creature, like on the outside, I feel like I'm alone, you know what I mean? Like, uh, 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 there's nobody else like me, but on the inside, I know that there's all these different things about me that make me unique. You know what I mean? It was just kind of a weird concept, but it was interesting. And I think we, you know,
0: yeah, those Any any of those outlets, you know, I think to to express how we're feeling and whether it be like, um, you know, the different photography campaigns or, you know, different art campaigns that I've seen around the country, I I think those are highly important and very therapeutic. Um, And it would be interesting to see what's going on around the world as far as, yeah, going to groups and going to support groups and things like that. We know that's helpful. But what is some outside-the-box kind of things that people are doing? You know, is it working with animals? Is it, you know, gardening? What do people do that they draw inspiration from and it allows them to get their mind off of what they're doing? Because sometimes, it's, at least for me, it's very easy to focus on HIV, right? This is what we do as activists and advocates, Um, And it's nice to kind of get away from that sometimes and kind of, you know, to be the client and to allow ourselves to heal. True that. So
1: I have um, actually some news things. I just remembered I was going on my Facebook page, and, and, you know, Facebook is a great source for me to get information about what's going on, you know, in the world or, you know, in the HIV community. And one of the things that I saw pop up on my news feed this week was, a blog that was put out by Sean Strube. And if you go to uh, seanstrube.com, he has his blog there and you'll link to it. And it was written on December 13th and it was uh, titled Kenneth Cole Needs a History Lesson. And what it refers to is that there is an HBO documentary that is out right now called The
0: Battle of Amphar. Have you heard about this? You know, I saw. I, I saw... Um, Cole's comments, and I saw some, I saw the blog that you're talking about, so I know some, but um, elaborate more for our listeners. Well, the, the,
1: it basically tells the history of Amphar, and it really on Elizabeth Taylor, and the scientist, uh, I'm going to screw her name up, is Mathedy Krim. Um, and supposedly a lot of, it was produced, I think, by, by Kenneth Cole. Don't quote me on that. Um, but there's a lot of things that supposedly are wrong in this documentary. I actually watched it. Um, there was parts that I was kind of cringing because of certain people that were in the, video, in the documentary, but it, it, it's a piece of history, you know, that is it, need to, to be told. But the following, I guess, night after it was, or the night before that this blog was posted by Sean Stroop, he, uh Kenneth Cole was actually on uh, Chelsea Lately. And another big thing that came out over the week uh, was Chelsea Lately uh, actually donated $100,000 to AMFAR, which is amazing. So, you know, thanks, you know, for her for stepping up and donating that money to help, you know, fund the cure. But on um, the show, Handler actually asked Kenneth Cole, how did you get involved in AIDS research? And this is the quote coming from the interview. He says, this, this, This was like 25 years ago, and people weren't talking about AIDS then because stigma was so devastating. And stigma has killed more people than the virus itself, and the gay community wasn't speaking up they were afraid to. And then Sean says, I've got news for you, Kenneth Cole, 25 years ago, it was almost solely members of the gay community who were speaking up about AIDS. In fact, in 87, the executive directors of almost all the national lesbian and gay organizations protested the government in action in an act of civil disobedience and got arrested in front of the White House. So he basically was saying that, you know what I mean, like the gay people were the only ones who were actually speaking up at that time and, you know, his comment was saying that he got involved because gay community wasn't speaking up. So that was kind of something that ruffled the feathers, I guess, of Sean Strube.
0: Well, and it's completely inaccurate. I mean, you know, when we look back on the history you know, uh, anyone who who can look back at the history, you know, HIV and AIDS before it ever even had a name was called GRID, um, and it was, you know, they thought it was transmitted by the four H's by Haitians, homosexuals, um, uh, heroin users, and hemophiliacs. So, I mean, there was a lot of ignorance and stigma in the early days, and then it came became known as GRID, uh, a gay uh resistance immune disorder. Um and, and so um it was I agree with Sean. It was the it was the gay community that stepped up because the government I mean you know Reagan didn't even mention uh HIV or AIDS, I believe until um you know the late eighties, eighty six I think. Um and so for, you know, Kenneth Cole to say that the the gay community wasn't doing anything is Reckless and completely inaccurate. And it's upsetting to those
1: long-term survivors like Sean Strube and Peter Staley who were there doing this, who were actually the ones who were the voice when nobody else was speaking up. So it's kind of like a slap in the face to them. So I definitely understand where Sean was coming from. But that was one of the things that hit the news feed that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, there was another one that I, I, I'm not, you were, oh, you said you remembered the guy's name. I totally forgot the guy's Project Runway. You said Victor?
0: Yeah, Victor Luna, uh, who was uh, on the Project Runway All-Stars um, th- th- this week, wrote a letter in which he um, revealed that he is HIV positive. Um, and he also revealed that to two of his fellow con- uh, contestants on camera. Um, You'll remember that Project Runway Season 9, that he was very protective of his feelings and how he was portrayed on camera. Um, Mm -hmm. In the letter he wrote that many thought that he was just quiet, but in truth uh, he was hiding from the world. Um, And then during the All-Star season he wanted to let it all be out and be himself. Um, You know, we were kind of talking before um, we went on air, and, you know, I think this is amazing that Victor is doing this, I think that the the road has been paved um by other celebrities that have been out about their status um you know whether it be Jack McEnroe or mondo or uh jamar rogers um so uh, we certainly want everybody um to be out about their status if if at all possible and certainly if it's safe for them to do so um so i I applaud them i you know I think that it, it definitely takes a, a uh, brave person to, you know, tell the world that they're HIV positive. Yeah, I, I actually totally agree,
1: and I would love to have a uh, Victor come on the show. So maybe we could try to set that up for a future date. Um, you know, it's it's incredible that they do it, like you mentioned, Jabar and Mondo, and then you know, uh, our own Jack McEnroe has 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 done it and has really helped people. It allows people to see that they're not alone and the more and more that they do this on national television, the more that people will, um, you know, feel comfortable in their own skin. And I think that's uh, really, really important. You know, have you seen these T-shirts that are going out, that are done by,
0: um, you know, our, our good friend Kevin Maloney? You know, I, Kevin had sent me one, and I, so I think it got lost in the mail. I have not gotten yet, but I have seen the pictures from around the world um, of all the people that are, are wearing them. Have you gotten one? No, I haven't gotten one yet. There's one supposedly en route for
1: me, but I'm actually going to go on and purchase one for Christmas because I think it's a good gift for me to give to a friend of mine. Um, but if you're actually on Facebook, you can uh, search uh, No Shame About Being HIV Positive, and it'll come up where you can go to the Rise Up to HIV uh, page there on Facebook and find information linked to it. But the shirts are all over. I mean, the photos are coming in. It's really incredible. It's a great campaign to get involved with. And You know, I was actually out on World AIDS Day at my local coffee shop in our local neighborhood here in Philly. And one of the guys who worked actually had on one of his shirts, and I thought it was amazing that a total stranger that I don't even know actually had this shirt on and
0: was very visible. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Kevin's doing some amazing work, and I think, you know, there's so many great campaigns going on right now, whether it's HIV Equal, the Sigma Project, um, you know, Kevin's Project. And I think the more we have to normalize that conversation and get the conversation out there, whether that's through a T-shirt, whether that's through changing a profile picture, getting the message out there that that we're going to talk about it. And I think that's really the way we we get uh, a reduction in in new infections and we get people retained to care. I agree.
1: And as we're waiting for Robert to call in, if Robert is on hold, just press one so we know that it's you and you want to come online. Um, I wanted to talk about um, some upcoming guests that we have lined up for uh, the rest of the year. I thought it would be uh, a good thing to do, as I see. I think Robert's on the line now. Um, next week, we'll be speaking with Jeremy Hobbs. Um, those of you who are not familiar with Jeremy, uh, he runs an organization called Rise Above HIV. There's a Facebook page. You can check that out. Um, really cool organization. We met him at the Positive Living Conference, and he was uh, definitely Awesome guy. I mean, he had a lot of great ideas, and uh, when he was speaking up there, he, he did incredible.
0: Yeah, and then he the, is, yeah. Go ahead. You, you, no, I, mean, I, you, I echo that. I, he, is, he is really a, a really cool person. Um, the 29th,
1: we're going to have Nicholas Snow on. Um, he will be uh, sharing his story and talking about a new book that he has coming out. Um, and then on January 5th, we'll be speaking with uh, Rob Quinn, um, and we'll have more information on that and links and all that um, Coming up on our show, you can always listen to us uh, and free download our past shows on iTunes or go to Blog Talk Radio backslash Pause I M or follow anything at Pause I M dot org. So let's go ahead and bring our guests on this evening. Let's take a quick little break and then we'll be right back. I just want to look for uh, a good PSA. Here we go.
0: I'm a YouTube host and a co-host of this program, Pause I M Radio. I'm an international activist and I'm a writer. But at the end of the day, I'm a person who's living with HIV who is subject to the criminal statutes in my home state of Missouri. And as such, I'm always interested in what's going on as we move forward to try to change criminalization statutes or modernize them. For all the information, I go to seroproject.com. That's S-E-R-O project.com. You'll find the latest information on what's occurring and what needs to occur by a group of individuals who are passionate about modernizing criminal statutes to help reduce stigma and stop perpetuating the hate for those simply living with a virus. I encourage you today, if you've not done so, please check out seroproject.com. That's S-E-R-O project.com. There
1: you go. You heard it here. Our and Aaron Laxton giving us a little TSA love.
0: <laughs> hey, got to love
1: it. Got to love it, Zero Project. So let's go ahead and, and bring our guest on,
0: uh,
1: Robert Garthello, Uh Welcome to the show. You're on the air. I still understand. Bad money. Hey, can you just lower your speakers and have a little bit of feedback? I back. Hello? Hello. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Yes. I'm hearing some feedback in your background. I background. Oh, I'm sorry. You want to use a card, right?
0: Yes.
1: Uh, like, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what point in a relationship do you normally disclose? At what point in, in a relationship should you disclose? Excuse me? Like, uh, as far as your HIV status, what point do you
0: disclose where it's not a problem legally? All right, well, we can definitely answer that. We we definitely thought that you were were our guest, but I can answer, we'll actually answer you offline, so thank you for calling in, but be sure to listen. We'll put you on mute. You know, I would say to answer your question, um, it really depends on each state that you're in. Um, To know the specifications of your state, um, like the PSA said before, um, you know, go to the seroproject.org, um, and uh, it would tell you uh, the safest rule of thumb is to always disclose to a sexual partner um, before any sexual contact. I know for me personally, um, I disclose up front, and that really cuts through all, like, all the BS, that, uh, uh, rejection, and things like that. Certainly, that's not right for everybody. Um, and each person is going to have their own way of disclosing. But for me, it's up front, you know, and that, that keeps me out of, tr- out of trouble as much as possible. I don't know how, how you do it, Robert, but that works for me. Yeah, well now it's being,
1: you know, an activist and, and kind of having my status out there. I, I kind of eliminated that need to disclose because everybody who knows me knows I'm involved in an this and kind of knows my status already, so I've kind of eliminated that really. <laughs> To a sort, but um, yeah, it, you know, know, I think you know it's a difficult choice, and it's, it's kind of an individual, you know, thing. Everybody does it their own way, but there, it definitely should be disclosed before
0: any kind of sexual intercourse, just to protect yourself. There you go; it's the best rule of thumb, and and just you know, I would I would definitely say also, uh, you know, be engaged in a support group. You know, that's a conversation that people within your own home state in your own city um, you can have that conversation with you know case managers whether you're in Ryan white care or your your people that you're at support group with and um, ask them how they handle it as well um, because the way that we handle things here in Missouri or in, you know Pennsylvania or New York may not be the exact way that you would hold you know handle it in your home state or home city
1: yeah, feel free to contact us either off-air and we can maybe connect you with somebody in your local area that can help you get connected. So I think this is actually Robert. So let's go ahead and see. Uh, Robert, is this you? Hello, Robert? Alrighty then. So I'm still waiting for Robert. That's kind of interesting because I uh, can't seem to find him um, on the line. So if, Robert, you're on the hold, please press 1 so we know you want to come on. Um Let's take a PSA. I'm going to send him a quick email real quick. So we will be uh, right back. I am a mother. I am an entrepreneur.
0: I'm a journalist. I am a singer. A businesswoman. I am an artist. An educator. A sister. An advocate. A leader. A queen. I am a friend. I am. I am. I am. I am. I am.
1: I am. I am one of more than a million million people people living with HIV HIV in the U.S. We we are not alone. alone. Let's Let's stop HIV together.
0: Get the facts, get tested, get involved.
1: There you have it. You're back live with Robert and Aaron. So um, as I'm waiting for him to uh, call back into the show, I don't know. Has he We connected earlier today, so I'm not sure exactly why he uh, hasn't reached us yet. So Aaron, um, what are some things going on in your blog?
0: Well, you know... Just normalized you know I have gotten back to doing the day count. Um, I'm at uh, close to a thousand days um, uh, with HIV. Um, you know the I actually wanted to put a plug in for thebody.com. the uh, body com the the com has their year in review uh, coming out um, so if if any of the listeners have not checked out um, the com which we both actually blog for. Um, it's a great resource, and all the videos um, that I have on YouTube are, are generally, um, you can check them out on the body, um, and you can really get all the information, whether it be newly diagnosed or if you have questions about your, you know, any lab tests or medications or side effects. Um, thebody.com is, I can honestly say, it's a resource that I go to um, on a weekly basis, sometimes daily basis to, you know, as an activist, it's what I go to to get my information. Um, so it's just an amazing resource. Yeah,
1: I, I, I love it there, the people over there, Olivia, and, you know, all the other bloggers that are there. It's like, a, it's like a big old family. I remember when we were at the International AIDS Conference and we met up and had a big, uh, you know, bloggers dinner. And it was just really cool to interact with people who, you know, you're up there sharing space with and, and helping spread awareness and making people just feel
0: comfortable again yeah and it's a you know a broad um a broad range of people um and uh you know it was very i think that's the thing that makes us such a beautiful community is because we do have so many um broad um experiences you know last week we heard from uh you know an amazing set of of young ladies one from north carolina one for from nebraska um, I mean, on any weekly basis, we have um, advocates and and people from around the, the the country, if not around the world, that are telling their stories um, and how they're dealing with HIV in various ways. Um, so I think it's just an amazing. That's what makes this community beautiful, in my opinion. I agree. So, uh, to get off the HIV subject for a second, uh, have you have you done any Christmas shopping yet,
1: or do you celebrate Christmas?
0: You know, I, you know, I do I do celebrate Christmas, and for a few select people, I will buy something. Um, can't wait this, to get this, my present, girl. Girl, <laughs> it is it is in the mail. You be looking out for it, all right? <laughs> uh, you know, I. I'm just not one that buys into the uh, the, the whole Christmas, I, I kind of feel like it's been monopolized. Um, I have, you know, this past week we were doing a homeless outreach and we were uh, taking homeless people into shelter because the temperatures have been really low here. Um, so I think for those people it, it's important for us to realize that there are people living with HIV that are out on the streets and there are people that are living with HIV and not that I'm trying to bum anybody out, right, because uh, I would never do that. But I, I just, I kind of ask everybody to, you know, be courteous and, and think of those people that aren't, they don't have it as fortunate as we do. Uh, and maybe we keep that preview as those living with HIV. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are on medications and they just simply can't afford, you know, uh, to go out and, and spend thousands of dollars on gifts or or whatever. So, for me, um, I actually like doing stuff that are not, it's not expensive, and, and it's not about the money. Um, but that being said, Robert, you can send me a very expensive gift. I will receive it. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind
1: of excited to uh, have Christmas. I like, you know, hanging out with my family and doing the family thing and opening presents with my nieces and nephews, and, you know, it's fun growing up, and then you grow out of it, and then when either you have kids or your family, you know, your sisters or brothers have kids, it's, kind of fun all over again to see the smile on their faces when they open up the gift that that you got them. And I don't know, for me, it's fun because I get to spend time with my whole family.
0: Right. Well, you know, and I think that's what it's really about. So, you know, everybody has their own traditions and their own, you know, memories that they do. Um, And so I think as long as you go into it and you know what, what it is to you, then it means more. Uh, But if you go into it just thinking that it's it's about, you know, buying gifts or any of that stuff, then I think you really miss out on what the holiday is intended to be. Right. For me,
1: it's all about family. And and I guess, you know, after my diagnosis, I didn't really kind of hit me that my family was important. It was one of those kind of reality, you know, snaps in the face that, I needed to start really paying attention to my family because they are the ones that will support me. But one of the things, actually, I'm kind of upset that our guest isn't here, but we'll have to reschedule with him for another night, but one of the things that actually Robert uh, says in one of his videos, which I thought was really, really, like, true, is that being diagnosed HIV positive or living, you know, with AIDS is the one disease that you cannot rely on your family and friends on to support you 100%. It's the only disease out there that's like that, that you could possibly not be, you know, accepted or supported or, or you know, helped with. And I never right. really thought about it like that, but it does. It does carry that kind of stigma.
0: Well, yeah, and I think that to some regard, I, I mentioned that video earlier um, and about the young man who developed osteosarcoma, and I actually got to thinking about that. Um, you know, it's far more acceptable in our society for a person to develop cancer and to become very ill. I watched another video. um, It was actually a very, an older video on YouTube that was about an hour long. and It was uh, from the early days of HIV and it was highly stigmatizing and it had a lot of, you know, stigmatizing speech in it. Um, But I think getting back to kind of what, why that I think that is, is that many people perceive HIV and AIDS um, as obviously we're doing something to bring that on ourselves versus if a person, you know, gets diagnosed with cancer or leukemia or, or breast cancer, let's say, that was clearly nothing that they did. It was just something in their genetic makeup. So I, I think right. it's this misplaced, you know, judgment of, well, you know, they've done something to deserve it. And, of course, we know that's not right. Sure. The, um, and I don't know if you, you saw this. The There's been a drug that's been on the market, kind of just shift gears a little bit. This is actually going to be a hot topic show, it looks like, um, this past week there was a medication that was approved to treat hep C and it's actually highly effective in treating hep C um, and it is uh, interferon sparing um, so there's there's no pegylated interferon um, and the name of it is Sifosavir. Um If that was the story alone it wouldn't really be a big deal um, and we know that the issue of co-infection or dual diagnosis um, is, you know, that's why I'm bringing this up because there's a lot of people that are living with HIV and they're living with hep C. This new drug that was put out, do you want to take a guess at what the price point is for it?
1: The price point for a new drug? Yeah. I'll say for for
0: $1,500. How much? 1500 Oh, no. For the entire course, so it's a 12-week course, um, it's $90,000. Holy shit. It's $1,000 a pill.
1: That's insane.
0: So, you know, the activists, you know, activists, including the AHF, who I have been highly critical of at points, um, and I've been highly critical of Big Pharma because I think that this is an example of this drug has been proven in 12 weeks to cure Hep C in 90% of patients. But with a price tag of, you know, $90,000, you know, most insurance companies are not going to pay that. That is true. (laughs) So, you know, uh, there are different, you know, uh, Petitions and things circulating to you know work on Gilead and getting them to lower the price point. Now, Gilead, they're saying it's on research and development, however, Gilead didn't do any of the research. They simply bought the owner and developer of Savasvi, which is a company called Pharmacet, for eleven billion dollars. It's a company that only four drugs, that only has four drugs in its portfolio. And so Gilead basically bought one drug for $11 billion, and then it costs, they claim, $1 billion to bring bring the drug to market. So their argument of research and development kind of is moot. So it's not something we talk about all the time, you know, because we we primarily focus on HIV, but, um, you know, hep hep C and HIV is a huge issue for for many in our community, so definitely. We've actually
1: done a few shows on uh, co-infection of uh,
0: hepatitis C and uh, HIV.
1: I think, actually, uh, Kevin Maloney actually came on and shared his personal story with that.
0: Yeah, it's definitely something that Kevin and um, a few others, but mainly Kevin, uh, when I think of dual diagnosis, I think of Kevin and the work that he's doing Um, and, and trying to get the message out about, you know, that it is something that we need to pay attention to. And researchers will tell you that um, we, have to, we have to pour more money into, you know, when a person is living with HIV and they are diagnosed with something else. Um, that's really hard to control. It's hard, you know, HIV alone is, is quite easy to control with antiretrovirals. That we have. However, you throw, you know, cancer into the loop, or you throw Hep C into the loop, then it becomes a different animal uh, to really treat. You know what I hate? So do you- What do you hate?
1: I was got tweeted at the other day, and it kind of pissed me off because this person tweeted at me and basically said that this radio show. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all out. This radio show is uh, clicky because this person, I guess, wants to be a guest on the show. And the thing is, is we're open to having anyone on the show. Contact us here. Go to Org and send us an email. You know, it'll come to me. I will be more than happy to set up a date have people come on. We love having new people come on and share their story. That's what the show is all about, you know, or something important that you're working on or, you know, anything like that or any subject you want to talk about, email us. But... This person contacted me and said that the only thing people that we've had on the show have been inside my inner circle of friends. And I think that I want to address it because this person is somebody else who's living with HIV and you would think that, you know, they would not be so hateful and kind of be a little bit more, I guess, um, I don't know, like we're on the same page together. We're, we're both activists. Like we're not trying to, to, to cause, like, you know, we should not be fighting each other when we're fighting for the same thing. And, you know, a good friend of mine, you know, contacted me, Bush contacted me about this person and said that he'd be a great guest, you know, he's working on something. And it just kind of struck me, you know, odd that this person would start kind of, you know, uh, throwing jabs at the radio show and at me when I've done nothing but do the show. Like, I don't understand why somebody would say that, but I don't know. It kind of bothered me, so I just kind of wanted to throw it out there that, you know, we have anyone on the show. They don't have to just be our friend. And there's been tons of people who I've never met who's been on this show. You know what I mean? No, I think
0: that's very it's important. important. You know, it's, it's, there, that's been a, there are groups out there that feel disenfranchised and they feel like their local ASOs um, have, you know, whatever, have given up on them or they're not part of the community. You know, I think it's very important to realize that the work that you're doing with am has always been something that you personally have paid for. You personally have made sure that it occurred. Um, and the work that we do as advocates, uh, we're not funded by, you know, uh, huge companies. We're not funded by ASOs. This is stuff that we do out of our pocket. So to have the accusation, um, you know, put out there that we're clickish. Um, it just isn't accurate, and it's not—it's fair—it's unfair that people would uh, would would feel that way. And I think that's not—you know—I think that's a very small group of people, and and hopefully that can be worked out with that person. But you know, I appreciate the work right. that you're doing, Robert. Right. You. Oh, thank you. But, you're, um, you're my hero, Robert. You're my hero. Oh please. Oh please, I'm nobody's hero. I'm just me.
1: That's right, so all we can be is just us, you know? We all got a story to tell, so that's what we try to do. But anyway, I'm here to, you know, bring love and happiness and, and kind of make people feel comfortable, and, and this person was kind of ruffling me, and it kind of upset me, but I don't understand because I just, I don't know, I just feel like I don't, I don't do anything to cause harm, but she's that issues with things, I guess other people either, I don't want to say being successful because it's not like we're successful or making money doing this. We, we do this voluntarily to make a difference, and it's important that people know that. And I think people have the wrong, conce- you know, the the
0: wrong conception of what is actually going on. I have a misconception. Well, sorry. you know what, you know what I found in this work is that there's always someone that's going to be critical of the work we're doing, and I and I always kind of retort back to people like that. That if you think it can be done better, then have at it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And it's generally the people that are not doing much, or you know, that has the most critiquing to do in anything in anything so do you remember me talking about a movie that I have not seen it yet I need to the Dallas Buyers Club do you do you remember me talking about that yes so I, remember, yeah. the, I just saw a news report so Matthew McConaughey was nominated for the best actor um, in a drama for playing Woodruff the main character and then Leto, or Leto, was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama for the role as Rayon, a transgendered woman with HIV who assists Woodruff. I think this is phenomenal because, one, I mean, it's just a storyline. Um, it's based on a true story, um, and it's getting, you know, the the message about AIDS and HIV in the early era out there. But now to have these, these actors um, nominated for... Um, for awards is really amazing and just brings more uh, attention to um, the message. But I typically don't even like Matthew McConaughey, but whatever, whatever.
1: I I'll take it. Anybody willing to to do that I think is awesome. And I, when I saw that come up on my news feed again on Facebook, um, I thought it was awesome. I said kudos to them because you said it was both of them, right? Him and another person who plays a transgender in the exactly. show. Yeah, so that's awesome, Jim. because those roles seem to always be overlooked or, or kind of bypassed when it comes to nominations. So I think it's important that, especially the transgender, good for that
0: that actor for, for putting himself out there and doing that. And the, um, the body, uh, to get back to the body, they have the top ten stories um, from 2013. Um, and I figured that we would just kind of... You know, go through these. We have a few minutes um, as we kind of mark down time. The of the the top stories of this past year, and so as we draw to an end, we kind of you know look back on what's kind of happened and and hopefully kind of learn on things. The Affordable Care Act was one of them. Um, You know, it certainly hasn't been rolled out as efficiently maybe as it could have been. Um, and, and we certainly do not know what it's going to mean for people with HIV. I think it leaves a lot of gaps for people living with HIV, depending on your state. Um, so I think that was, the body put that as one of the stories that was, that was really big in 2013. The, um, there was also the first published report of what we know as, uh, so the ACA was one. The next story was the there was a lot of cure stories that went out this year, um, but the most credible one was the Mississippi infant, or the Mississippi baby, um, in rural Mississippi, and that was uh, you might remember a mother that was kind of lost to care, and then whenever she came back to care, had the child, um, the child was was HIV positive initially, um, and so. They have since labeled that baby functionally cured, and it's been uh, fifteen. It's been some time now um, uh, since that baby was cured, per- and that information was released at that croy. The next story was that you know there's been some vaccine and biomedical prevention breakthroughs. Um, we had uh, Damon Jacobs on talking about PrEP a few shows back. Um, that was one of them. Um, there's also, you know, PrEP came out in 2012, but it's really been slow for the uptake. Um, and then vaccine studies really haven't gotten off the ground. There's one in Canada called the SAV-1 um, that looks pretty promising. And criminalizing the HIV epidemic. Um, these are, it, it, it's interesting because we actually hit on all these topics. And so it's nice to know that the topics that we're doing. Um, yeah. yeah that that these are actually stories that other media outlets are seeing as the hot topics. Um, we had um you know, Sean Strobe called in and uh Robert Fettle was one of our guests talking about the HIV criminalization epidemic. Um and that was the week after the uh appellate court uh, had the ruling on Nick Rhodes' case, which ultimately, that's going now, it looks like, to the Supreme Court to see if they'll hear it. Um, So HIV criminalization, we know it's a big issue, and there's a lot of misnomers about it and misunderstandings about what it is and what it isn't. Um, And Barbara Lee, a Democrat from California, has introduced the Repeal Act, which is repeal existing policies encouraging and allow legal HIV Discrimination Act. Um, So hopefully that's able to to get off the ground. The next story was the graying of HIV and AIDS. Have you heard anything about this? About the graying? Yeah, so it's a a new term that's used. And actually, you know, when we were talking to Mark S. King, it was kind of brought up, and then Peter Staley, when we talked with him. You know, now an estimated half of the (laughs) 1.1 million Americans living with HIV by 2015 will be older than the age of 50. So a growing number of new infections are among people in that 50, but the vast majority of people aging with HIV are long-term survivors. So there's more research going into social services and pharmacological uh, concerns. Um, And we heard of an amazing group out of San Francisco called Kick-Ass. And, uh, you know, so trying to reengage those long-term survivors, and um, we saw the passing of Spencer Cox, um, who was an original ACT UP member. And he, you know, many have said that he died as a direct result of issues that are being faced by long-term survivors. So that was one of the top news stories this year was the graying of HIV and AIDS. Of course who could forget NAPWA um now I would say in full disclosure I never really had much interface with them I don't know if you'd ever did anything with them or if, they'd yeah, if the idea. they yeah yeah okay so yeah. unfortunately they went they went they fell by the wayside this year what was your interaction with them
1: Robert um Two years ago, they did a, a conference. Um, they do, I guess they did, they did one every year, and they did one in Fort Walton, Fort Walton Beach. Listen to me, um, Fort Worth, Texas, in Dallas over there. Um, and me and uh, Jeremy uh, went there and actually spoke about you know using social media and things of like that, finding support. And we spoke about POS.IM. I Am, and we actually um, shared the floor with. Uh, our, our our friend uh, Dwayne Kramer, the photographer guy. Oh yeah, yeah, he was actually there, and we actually spoke about using different you know media outlets, you know, with him being a photographer and things of that nature. We kind of you know gelled well together, so it was fun. So, yeah, that was,
0: was a good uh, I mean, it was, it you know, it, NAPL was the first and oldest voice for the 1.1 million people living with HIV, um, and uh, you know, unfortunately, I think it was just uh, the precursor of. Kind of where we are as a country, um, and we're seeing more aid service organizations um, fall by the wayside due to to budget issues and and in some regards leadership issues. The um, one of the you know and one of the next issues was the alarming increase in HIV cases among Black MSMs. Uh, statistics on the epidemic in the Black community. Um, black American community are sobering African Americans and other black communities represent only 14 percent of the nation's population but they account for nearly half um, some 44 percent of new HIV infections that is just amazing those numbers is there a large African American community uh, uh, where you live Robert Um, not in my specific
1: neighborhood But in in Philadelphia itself, yeah, there are you know it's it's we're a very multicultural city, and that's actually one of the things I love about Philadelphia is that it is so multicultural. I I don't know some people tend to hide from that, and I am drawn to that. I'm drawn to learning new things about different cultures and things like that. So yeah,
0: but not my specific. Yeah, see, in St. Louis, I would say we're primarily, uh, I mean, we are multicultural. We have a large Bosnian community. Um, We have, um, uh, I mean, which is very multicultural. um, But African Americans make up a majority of St. Louis. The next story um, was the growing issue of HIV and Latinos and, and the epidemic. The demographic uh, of, of the domestic HIV AIDS of has changed as it enters the fourth de- decade. And it initially was only believed to be a problem for white gay men. But now it's seen as a black and brown epidemic, disproportionately affecting African-American and Latinos. And I think it's very interesting, you know, a black and brown epidemic. Um, and Latinos have become the largest minority in the United States and conversions are also rising. <laughs> This is interesting because when we talked to um, uh, uh, Vitali from uh, Florida, a Department of Health, right,
1: um, he yeah. talked
0: about his he he talked about his work with the uh, you know uh, immigrant populations, um, and the amount of work it goes into getting to gaining that trust of service providers. Um, so I think that was very interesting. Le- Latino men are actually three times um, as likely to be infected as compared to their to white men and Latinas. So Latino young ladies are four times as likely to become HIV positive compared to white women. So wow, those, those numbers are just uh, amazing. Um, and I think that's the an, another amazing thing of the work that advocates like Maria um, uh, is doing um, yeah. in, in getting that message out to Latino populations. Um, uh, specifically because uh, she's Spanish-speaking um, and, and is able to convey that message. And finally, um, research and recommendation addresses the gender divide. So one in four adults or adolescents living with HIV or AIDS diagnosis in the United States are women. Uh, that's according to the CDC. Women of color, especially black and Latino women, are disproportionately affected compared to women of other races and ethnicities. Um, so I think a lot of good things came out of this past year. Um, some things you kind of look back and say, well, that's not really shocking. And then the final thing was uh, there's been some great advancements in, in treatments. We've had new drugs that have come to market. Um, Stribil was one of them, um, and Stribil doesn't have the ephavers in it or the sativa component in it um, so that's better. And then there's a new drug, um, dilutegraver, which is a entry prohibitor um, uh, inhibitor. So I think that's and I think there's like three or four more drugs that are on the um, on the brink of being released too so that'll be really exciting.
1: Well, it sounds like it well, as we are creeping down to the end of the show, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, our, our guest Robert, we're going to have to reschedule um, for a future date in the new year. And actually, uh, we kind of were discussing as we're hosting the show together, me and Aaron, that uh, we're probably going to take off the rest of the year. So this will probably be our last show for 2013, and we'll come back in uh, January 5th will be our first show back. So we're going to um, reschedule the shows that we have lined up just because during the holiday season, we seem to... You know, people are, are busy, they're doing their family things and, and we're not uh, you know, always gonna be able to draw a crowd and we want people to you know, tune in and listen and get involved and call into the show. So uh yeah, we're gonna be taking off for the new year. I'm kind of excited to have some time off, but we're gonna get some great guests lined up and we're gonna come back with some, you know, amazing new uh PSAs and things like that. I like to do some of our own and all that, um I don't know it's, it, was, it was a great night. We got to cover the great things on the body that you spoke about. We talked about great uh, you know, articles and news. That actually, in the beginning of the show, we didn't have any news, and by the end of the show, that's all we had was news.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: So it, it worked out well. So, um, Aaron, let's see. Uh, where can people find more information about you?
0: Aaron Laxon on all the social medias, and then uh, my HIV journey on YouTube. And how about you, Robert?
1: Uh, they can find more information uh, by going to POSIM.org dot org or following me on Twitter positive pitch or on Instagram positive pitch. I like Instagram, so if you're on there, follow me. Um, it's fun you do. Me. You're a big of, fan of that. Yeah, I like. I like. I'm a, like. You know, you, when you were talking about what you know kind of uh, draws me inspiration, and when you mentioned photography, I, you know that is kind of something that I, I like to do. But it's never. You know, I'm not the best photographer, but. Instagram is something that kind of draws me that that keeps me going. It's like I like the, the photo and the quick little message, and not like this humongous status update on Facebook. It's fun. Yeah,
0: I would just like to uh, like this, you know tell all the listeners, uh, uh, you know, thank 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 you to everyone that's made this show successful in 2013, as we we do wrap up and we'll be off air for the remainder of the year, um, and you know. Have a great holiday season. Enjoy your families. Enjoy your friends. Um, enjoy your support groups and the things that you're doing in your communities. And, you know, we'll, we'll be back bigger and better, better than ever in 2014. That's right. And, again, for
1: more archives or to contact us, go to org. and have yourself a great uh, holiday and a healthy new year. Aaron, I will speak to you soon. Hi. Right. Talk to you later, bud. Have a good night, guys.
0: an army couldn't hold